Apple presents events at the Apple Store. Let's take a look at the trailer for Charlie Countryman. Tell me what happened with my father. I'm super nervous right now because this is a wild experience for me. Maybe you have some kind of fantasy about helping the woman in the faraway land. Hi, John. I love this guy. He's crazy. He's a pie animal. Woman alone. This, this is my gift to you. Tell Charlie how many Viagra you took. I don't feel well, Charlie. <laughs> hey. Oh, good morning. Listen, I'm looking to see if we can give you a... My mother died before I left. Nigel was my husband. No, Johnny, not was. So death was part. You think you love me? Yes. Enjoy your new maids while you can. God knows they can all turn into blood in the blink of an eye. Charlotte, do you have any idea what kind of a man he is? Yeah, I have a very clear idea. Are you in love? Are you in some three days of the condo or something? You're meant to leave. I do. I die for love. Pretty cool way to go. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderator from Entertainment Weekly, Tom Geyer, and tonight's guests, Evan Rachel Wood and Frederick Bond. Thank you all for being here, first of all, and thank you, Evan and Frederick. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, Frederick, tell me a little bit. This was started out as a blacklist script and the famed blacklist. Um, so, how did you come to become associated with Does it? Does people know what bla blacklist is? We should explain. <laughs> sure. It's basically the, 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 uh, a list of the best unproduced scripts that circles around Hollywood, but nobody dares to take a gamble on. So, um, the, every year there's a list of. of uh, uh, there's uh, executives making the list of the ones that they wish they had produced, but didn't dare to. And so you had started out as a commercials director, and yep, this is your correct. first feature film. I yeah. think um, the commercial viewers that I, that I think people probably best know is uh, it was a Heineken commercial. Yeah, we've done a, a series of Heineken commercials, yeah. we um, running here a lot. There's yeah. a memorable one that's like 90 seconds long of this yep. guy who does incredible things. Yep. Um, now, how did you come upon this as your first feature film? 
You know, I read the script like uh, five, six years ago, uh, and uh, I just was blown away by the uh, the um, sheer uh, romance. The romance of it really blew me away, and the, and the unpredictability of the story I just loved. And it kind of reminded me of you know movies that I grew up loving, like After Hours, True Romance, Train Spotting, um, and even some French movies. You know, like Diva and and Lovers on a Bridge. You know, a lot of it was a mix of a lot of feelings, you know, that, that I got uh, hooked up to. But um, basically, but also on a personal level, it really resonated with, you know, being 21 and, and uh, going on that world around the trip that I did, living in hostels and meeting incredible people and sit, coming in uh, unbelievable situations because you're just fresh to the world and, and, and curious and stupid, I guess, you know. Now, where did you grow up? I grew up in Sto outside Stockholm, in, in the suburbs of Stockholm. Yeah. So does that involve, you know, is it the Eurail Pass or do you like, come to America and do Amtrak? Is that, what's the no, European I, my, version my, of that? My, my, my version was uh, uh, Australia, New Zealand, Japan and, and America. So I ended up actually in Venice Beach where I live now and lived in hostels and had sort of Charlie's uh, experience there. So now how did you come upon casting this, this project? Because Shy and Evan are terrific together but uh, not necessarily the first choices that uh, people would necessarily think of for these roles. You know, um, we, we had been trying, you know, Shai was also one of the first that read the script, you know, uh, very early on. You know, he's, he's very tuned in to what's new and what's happening in, in, in town that can, might be edgy. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he'd, he'd read this the day after Matt finished the script, you know, somehow got a hold of it. But, so, he, so this is Matt Drake who Matt Dra wrote yes, the script? Matt Drake, the, the writer. Uh, and so basically Shai attached himself then to, to the script and, and was going to do it. But uh, out of scheduling reasons, as it normally happens, he, he, uh, he couldn't do it anymore. And then um, I came on and we had other actors was going to do it and, and eventually it didn't work. And um, so Shia called me up one day and said, this is the script I've been dreaming about and wanting to do for, for, you know, for the last five, six years. Please let me do it. You know? so, and, and, and I met him and we had an amazing connection and, and I saw his, his fire in the eyes. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then instantly after we, we started to spitballing, you know, who's, who's this woman? Who's this uh, Romanian girl? And, and we instantly, you know, talked about Evan and wanted to meet her. And, and she, you know, there's very few actresses that had those qualities that we needed in, in um, Gabby that can play that. And, and um, Evan was perfect for it. So we, saw, we met Evan like, uh, like a, a couple of weeks later, and Evan had already almost mastered the, the, the um, accent, I, I want to say. <laughs> you know, she had, you, you had a lot, bunch of um, coaching afterwards, but already there, it was pretty amazing. So we, we were both completely sold. Now, Evan, had you ever worked with Shia before? No, I never worked with Shia, but uh, we've, we've been fans of each other for a while, and, you know, we've both been doing this since we were kids, so we've, we've seen each other around and been kind of in the same circuit, and um, I've been trying to get into his projects, he's been trying to get into mine, and it's never quite worked out, and then when I got this script, I, I went, oh, that's why, because we're supposed to do this one, um, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad, I'm really glad that, you know, you both had me in mind for this, because it was such an amazing role to play, so... And you came in with the Romanian accent already well, nailed? Well, I had to come in and do a chemistry read with Shia. Basically, you know, 
when you're doing this intensive a love story, you have to make sure that there is chemistry, otherwise it doesn't work. And um, they uh, they wanted me to come in with uh, some sort of accent prepared so that they knew I could I could do it. Um, and you so thought about the Transformers accent, <laughs> the Optimus Prime accent, but you just settled on Romanian? I thought it was more appropriate. It was a personal choice. Um, yeah, so I came in and I did it. And I think uh, on that day, we all felt it. We all just realized there was something really interesting and, and different and, and special there. So Now, there's something very unusual. This is a love story, but there's something very unusual about their introduction. Can you say a little bit about how they first meet? Well, well, I love their introduction, actually, because I think it was important to us to show that, that moment, that love at first sight moment, which some people have and some people never experience. But when it happens to you, it's like lightning. And I think that moment is in this movie where he sees this girl and she's going through exactly what he just went through. He's looking at this girl who's just lost her father after he's just lost his mother and he sees himself in her and he, there's just an instant connection. Well, to be um, more specific about well, it. Well, to be more specific, my father just passed away on his shoulder. Uh, he's on an airplane sitting next to him, and he he goes to sleep, and he doesn't wake up. Um, and then he has this kind of, uh, I don't know, what what would you call it when, when he talks to my father after he's dead? <laughs> he, he channels. He channels, yeah. yeah. He's, he's a sensitive guy that can pick up things. Yes, yes. Somehow he gets this message from my father, and he says, you have to give this this gift to my daughter that I was going to give her. And, um, and he does, he follows through. Um, so I think we have a clip of that moment when they first meet. And uh, can we pl play that up now? Hi, I'm Charlie Countryman. Can you tell me what happened with my father? He fell asleep. And, uh... That was it. He just didn't wake up. On me, actually. He was... If you, uh... If you still look here, there's a drool right here. Your father wanted me to tell you something. I, I don't understand how... How could he know we would meet? Well, he said something about you to me. If you want to hear it. Please. He said that you were his fatate, um, fuck. Fatate cattle, uh, picante? Fatitza copicciare Yes. Quetzal. Yes. He said that, really. What does that mean? Uh, she has feet of a childish dog woman. Puppy fit girl. Would you uh, allow me? Anything? Yes. Thank you. That's so such sad. a sweet moment. Yeah, it's so sad. 
what I find interesting is there almost seems to be a kind of gender role reversal that goes on in this movie that, uh, you know, Shia's character is much more the kind of lovesick puppy dog, and you are almost the guy in the relationship, the more standoffish one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons why I like the role. She wasn't, uh, she wasn't the damsel in distress. She kind of is the one that rescues him throughout the movie. She's very self-sufficient. She's been taking care of herself for a really long time, but I think she falls in love with Charlie because he's the first person in a while, I think, to show her tenderness and doesn't want anything from her. He wants to take care of her, and I think that's why she gives in. Now, there's been much said about, about Shia as a kind of... Uh, there's been much shit said about Shia. Yeah. There's been much said about Shia. <laughs> that is absolutely true. Um, but as like, this kind of uh, proto-method uh, um, actor, and uh, what was that like working with him uh, on a movie of this nature in particular? It's very intense, but super interesting, super, um, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a really passionate endeavor. You know, you have dark days, you have light days, you have incredibly loving days, you know. So it's, it's, it's very, uh, it becomes, but, you know, I, I love it because it's a, it's a, it's a work of passion, yeah. you know. And you really come, you, you, you really come um, to, the, uh, to the bus where you're watching the rushes and, uh, uh, you know, just excited about how much he you see uh, through the rushes, seeing how much he has contributed to. So, you know, it's, it's, it's um, uh, you know, he, he really, he's very tactile, tactile. He needs to feel every little thing. So it's, uh, it's challenging. <laughs> yeah. But, but for, and for you? Oh, I mean, I, lo I, I loved it. I appreciated it. You know, it's rare that you get to work with a kind of actor like that, you know, and every actor has a process. It's an emotional game. And Shia is a very emotional, sensitive person that feels a great deal, you know, and uh, he has his process. And his process is to, he wants to feel everything, he wants to experience it, he wants to get as deep into a character as he possibly can. And it is refreshing because, you know, whether you love him or hate him, he's a great actor and he's extremely dedicated to what he does and very focused and he's willing to go the distance and not a lot of people are um, he, now. He, he came to set in his uh, one pair of shoes, the, the pants and the T-shirt the he was going to have in the movie and that's it. I didn't see him on the cell phone one time during the entire production. Never. He was Shirley Countryman. So I think we all were like, okay. He keeps you on your toes, yeah. yeah. Now, he's talked about how to prepare for there's an extended ecstasy trip in this film that he actually did drop acid for the film. Were you in on this, or were you aware of this? Or? Really? Did he? <laughs> you know? Well, I wasn't there that day. I don't know what went down. But if he did anything, I think he did it because he wanted it to be as real and as truthful as possible. And Shia, this may surprise people, has never really done a lot of drugs. He's just a very intense person without them. You know, um, so I think he was nervous. He was, he was nervous. He wanted to get it right, you know. But you know, we, we, had he done them, I don't know. We, we, sp we spoke for maybe six months about that drug scene. Yeah. That was, was one of the most important scenes to get right in the movie because you see a lot of movies where it doesn't feel right and it feels like a fake. And so we talked. We, 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 we spent a lot of time looking at stuff and did research and, you know, we, we shared a lot of information. And... And the way things worked on set was that sometimes we would spend a lot of time before, um, before shooting a scene and, and we'd spend an hour, two hours sometimes talking and preparing. And, and, uh, and, and then other days, you know, you just saw that Shia was 
in the zone, and you don't want to, you know, destroy that moment because he's in there. In the, so we turned up to set uh, early that morning, and he'd been there maybe an hour, two hours before us. That was normally the case. Yeah, it's always before everybody else on set. That's unheard <laughs> of. That's unheard of. I've, you know, I don't think did he have a trailer? I don't. I never saw his trailer even. He's you know? never in it. No. So uh, I just saw that he was in his moment and in the zone, and. I told my DP, we better shoot now, so we have, you know, we, we get this now. So it became, Quick. A, it became a very interesting night, but, but um, I hope you will enjoy but it when you see it. But you know what? No one was hurt in the process, and at the end of the day, there's a great performance on Yeah, on exactly, screen. which is the so. primary. Because Shia said one of our first meetings, he said, remember one thing, when we're dead, this movie's going to live. <laughs> hey, he's right. And it's right. Now, did you shoot the film in Bucharest, or? Yeah. And what was that experience like? Had you spent much time there previously, or no? I've, uh, I came there uh, when it was winter and was filled with snow, and and uh, we had uh, you know wrecking the place, and and um, I just felt like there was um, Bucharest has an incredibly interesting history, you know, from from uh, from uh, Ceausescu's times, you know, a, a city that used to look like um, Paris in the 40s and the 50s, very romantic and incredibly beautiful, has been quite brutalized over the years. And um, so I've, I wanted to find a city that, that in a way, like uh, Gabby's character actually, had a strong personality and had been, um, uh, yeah, like I said, brutalized and been, um, been kicked at over the years. So it just felt like the right place. And plus, Charlie's, Charlie's character goes on a, on a trip uh, for the first time in his life outside of America. So it needed to... I, I, it feel to very be a, different. Totally different, and a, and a place that wasn't cinematically that explored, cinematically that explored. So, so the audience would also have the same um, experience as, as Charlie has. Yes, and when you're there, it's a city that's begging to be put on film. It's so gorgeous in the way that it has this beautiful grit. It's yeah. really, there's so much to it. You can just peel back the layers and keep finding things, and yeah, it's a great city. Plus, the other thing is that we, you know, it was 30 degrees minus Celsius when we came there and wrecked the place, and then when we came to shoot, it, the whole city transformed, and out of the sewer systems comes a completely new population. You know, of Bucharest, sadly enough, has uh, the biggest uh, population of homeless kids and also of people living underground. So it's a whole, including the dogs. So uh, out of the sewer system comes a whole new population into the streets, which was um, uh, in a lot of ways sad, but also very um, interesting and, and transformed uh, the, 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 the city a lot you know, for us in experiencing it. So in the movie, you will see uh, that there's a lot of people that we came across that ended up in the movie, like um, the, the, the short man, the little guy. Um, and his dog Jumbo, Marcel, and his dog uh, Jumbo, who used to be um, the most uh, successful pimp in the 90s in, in Bucharest. He had a huge uh, stab of, of girls and great clientele and had Bucharest by, by the balls. But then he fell off the bandwagon and, and is now living under a bridge. And now he's in Charlie Countryman. Now he's <laughs> in Charlie Countryman. Do you just Google biggest pimp in Bucharest? I mean, how, how do you find he, these he's, people? He's, he's a bit of a... He's a bit, he, he would turn up. He just finds you. He, he, <laughs> he's the naked cowboy of Bucharest? He's, he, he basically turned up everywhere we went. And we became you know, really good friends. He speaks really good English because obviously his clients have taught him English over the years. 
But um, also, um, you know, most nights you would see Shia and him sitting on the on the street talking about life. It was really beautiful. So on the internet, you can find some some shots of Shia, Marcel, and the dog chatting. Well, I think we do have one clip that shows a little bit of the flavor of Bucharest and particularly the underground of, of Bucharest. Uh, and uh, I'll be curious to ask you if, if the, the couple that we see at the end are, in fact, locals. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, totally. So uh, if we can show that second clip here. Those are not faces that you see in central casting in Hollywood, I imagine. No, you're right. Um, so there's a, a sort of sweetness to this, and I wonder how you approached, uh, there's also some rather graphic love scenes as well, and I wonder how you approached those scenes as well. Um, well, I, mean, I think that's what I loved about the movie is that it's, it's so seamlessly kind of flows into action and to romance and a comedy, you know. It's all pretty, pretty, Flawless. Um, the sec well, funny. I mean, the sex scenes were actually raunchier than they ended up being. But the MPAA has a problem watching a woman receive oral pleasure. It makes people uncomfortable. But three people getting their heads blown off—totally fine. Absolutely no problem. Um, but a uh, little fun fact. Um, but no, I, th I. You know, the love scenes were approached. You know, we wanted them to be love scenes, not just sex scenes. You know, these are two people that are, have a very strong connection and. And we wanted it to really mean something and not just be gratuitous. And um, I felt good sh filming them. Shia was a total professional and felt very safe and very comfortable. So there were limits to the method approach. Sh well, sh yeah. Okay. Yeah, of course. I mean, there has to be. There has to be a lot of line, you know. But everything was talked about, you know, beforehand and laid out. And then, and then you just kind of go for it, you know. You just you kind of see what happens. And that's pretty much what we did. And now talk a little bit about your influences here, because there, I can even see from, from these clips, there's a little bit of Danny Boyle going on, there's a little bit of Tarantino. Um, what sort of influenced you in terms of the, the style and approach to this? Well, um, you know, the, the, um, the approach was sort of, uh, because the, the, the movie lives in this sort of twilight between reality and, and, and what he's experiencing physically and what he's experiencing a little bit in his head, you know? So it was always a little bit of, for me it was, uh, the biggest challenge was to find the balance between realism and, and, and fantasy, you know? And when it became too much of a fever dream and versus, but, but I always, I wanted it to feel a little bit like, um, like, uh, almost anything is possible. And I'm, you know, I'm from the point of view that you know, just because it happens in your head doesn't make it uh, less reali real. You know? I think 
you know, you react emotionally to things that might be unexplainable and and uh, and not be touchy feely. So that was sort of something that definitely definitely guided me. So then, you know, the story is a coming of age sort of graduate story, if you want. Uh, you know, he's he, he's lost and he's trying to find his gripping. So it's that all all those all these things kind of informs you how to shoot the movie, at least for me, you know, what is, what is important with, you know, how much do we push the fantasy element, how much do we um, move the camera, etc. But the, without giving away too much, I mean, the, um, there, is, there is, you know, the, the movements of the camera is, uh, there is an opening with a dying mother, and there is a sort of um, guidance from her, if you want, that then pays off at the end. So the camera is sort of also a little bit of the point of view of, of that um, overlooker, that, that um, guidance from the mom. Terrific. I think we're going to open it up to questions from, from all of you. Hi, Evan. First of all, my name is actually Evan, believe it or not. Hi, Evan. <laughs> okay. For whatever works across the universe, The Wrestler and Ides of March, what were Woody Allen, Jim Sturgis, Mickey Rourke, and George Clooney like from your point of view? And how would you compare them to Shia LaBeouf? <laughs> it's the greatest question of all time. Because <laughs> it's so loaded with so many answers. I don't even remember all the things that, that Jim, well, Jim Sturgis is one of my favorite people in the world. Mickey work is a trip. He's a brilliant actor. Um, who else? Clooney? He's exactly what you would expect. He's the most charming man in the world. Nicest guy ever. Completely talented. Oh, Woody, oh, Woody, well, it was an honor to work with Woody. Um, you know, it's a... Uh, if you can do a Romanian accent, can you do a Woody? <laughs> I can't. I'm going to no. really put you her on the spot. I can't. Don't make me do that. Um, <laughs> no, I, I really can't, though. I would. Um, he was great. You know, sometimes you don't, uh, y you don't get a lot of direction from him. I think he likes you to be as natural as possible, so he doesn't like to interfere at all, and that sometimes is very stressful as an actor, but um, he was wonderful. How do they compare to Shy? <laughs> was that the question? <gasps> they don't. I mean, they're just totally different. They did, there, is no, there is no comparison. They're all the most different people. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Completely different. <laughs> Uh, this is for uh, Mr. Bond, the director. Um, I come from a music performing and composing background, and I wanted to ask you what was your, when you're giving direction for your film scoring crew and, and the people providing music for the, the story, how do you do that? Are you asking for texture? Do you ask for recurring themes? Do you ask for mood? What do you, what do you, what's your direction when it comes to underscoring your film? Un underscoring, you meaning the the score, the, the score. actual music, yeah, the, the music, actual score. Uh, well, we we uh, we wanted to find a a, um, uh, a musical landscape that was set apart from from Gabby's Gabby's world, uh, which was the classical cello and everything. So, and also, you know, Shia listens a lot to uh, his I I I iPad. His he always had his, no iPod. Uh, always having. We're in the Apple Store. Get it right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> So you always have this music in his e earbuds, but I, I never like when you know exactly what it's what uh, he's listening to. So I wanted to find a score that could potentially be 
what he's listening to, but also give a bit of the uh, sentiment for, for the scene, you know, and help us to guide uh, the emotional sense of the scene. So, uh, does that answer your question? Or... Well, you can say a little bit about who's on the soundtrack. It's a very yeah, impressive yeah, we soundtrack. Have an, we had amazing mus musicians. We, Moby had read the script, and, and, and I had worked with him uh, on two music videos, and he really wanted to, uh, to um, help me score the music. So he, very early on, when we still were in, in, um, uh, working on and tweaking the script, he started to give us little flavors, because I wanted it to be too... Uh, I wanted the visual side of the story uh, to, 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 to run together a little bit with the um, music uh, uh, landscape and music universe. So I was, I was very happy that he, he wanted to do that. And then we, in the, in the process, as we, as we uh, started to really dig deeper into the uh, musical landscape, we took in a few more um, uh, musicians like Dead Mono and Christoph Beck and uh, uh, a DJ woman called um, Audrey Napoleon, amazing musicians, all of them, that sort of gave a little tonal shifts um, just to give, because, because the story was is so um, vivid and, and dynamic, I, I needed a little, we, we needed a little bit more of a sort of um, a, a variation in the, in, in the tracks, you know. So, um, um, uh, yeah, that was, that was, that was largely it. How you doing, Evan? How did it feel for across the universe? How did it feel to play out and be part of like some of the greatest songs of Beatles? It was. I never wanted a part more than that one. I went after it the second I heard they were doing it because I always wanted to do a musical and obviously was the biggest Beatles fan and Julie Taymor fan and I went after it so hard. Uh, I went into the audition and I was literally sweating singing for Julie Taymor. I was so nervous. Um, so I was incredibly excited but very nervous. But luckily, I was happy that the whole movie was being made by hardcore Beatles fans because we didn't want it to be High School Musical Beatles movie. You know, we wanted it. We didn't, you know, not, not like there's anything wrong with that. If you're into it, you're, that's fine. But this just... We wanted something that really spoke to that time and was a real homage to the band. And I thought they did an amazing job recreating the songs and doing the covers. And um, I'm st it's still just one of my, f the th my favorite project I've ever worked on, hands down, yeah. Apart from this. Apart, apart, <laughs> apart from this, you know. We just want to make sure you guys know. That, that movie In the musical category. Yeah. <laughs> That movie was shot down right down the block from where I live. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, we shot all of, of it in New York. Are still like that. Yeah, they kept they painted a lot of the buildings in uh, where where it was a uh, right on Rivington and Clinton. Rivington, yes, thank you. And they yeah, they, they the the buildings are still painted the way that we left them. I love that. <laughs> and you almost did Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I did. I did. Well, because Julie is a, a very good friend of mine, and I think she really is a genius. And um, I did the workshop for it, and I thought there was some really great stuff in there. I thought the music was good. Um, it just didn't work out. And my heart really goes out to them because it's very unfortunate. I think it was just a, a, a series of unfortunate events attached to that. <laughs> so. Can you... Uh Elaborate a little bit more about your impressions of Romania. Where you, uh, what did you try to go see? If you had a moment to see anything, and and maybe where you ate, or g give us a little travel log. Sorry, sorry. Okay, we. Um, 
the Lebanese. The Lebanese was the place we went to every every night. Uh, ate Lebanese food. It was incredible, um, amazing. And so they became like our um, household caterers. Um, and then we had like an Italian restaurant in the in the bottom of the of the of the oh, of our the restaurant, hotel. which we which were actually a really amazing Romanian cross. Um, um, uh, fusion fusion place, yeah. yeah, it was incredible too. Then we had a. Um, the old um, bistro, which was around the corner from the hotel, called um, I think it was called uh, Cafe de Paris or something like that, you yeah. know. But actually, was only serving um, uh, Romanian food. <laughs> and I um, used to go to this club called Goblin. That was my favorite. Did you ever go there? No, I didn't. It was right across from the kebab stand. At the, that's in the movie. Okay, okay. It's the okay. one where when you walk in, you have to go under like a, a, a woman's legs. Like under her skirt, do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we the awning, that the awning place. was literally yeah, 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 a woman's yeah. legs, and her skirt was the awning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that place was awesome. And then there was a jazz club across the street where we actually found these musicians. Um, no, a, a few blocks away actually, but but uh, nevertheless, um, which was um, uh, I can't remember the name, but um, <laughs> Adrian and, and his gang, the cello guys, used to play there, so they also became like. Um, uh, close buddies of ours, and, and um, they actually wrote a whole soundtrack. You know, we could, they they so loved the project that they, uh, in their spare time, they, they knew that we we're gonna do this, but they kind of in their spare time wrote almost an entire soundtrack to the movie. It was, yeah, that was the kind did of. Did you go to Transylvania? Person. Did you go to Dracula's castle? No, I did. You did. Nice. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty awesome. And just back to the music question back there. You know, emotionally, it was it was very much. You know, trying to f find a landscape for for Charlie's sort of outlandishness. You know, have a little bit of a sort of, you know, a little bit of an, um, you know, different. I didn't want to necessarily have, you know, um, pop pop tracks or pop music through the entire movie. But I thought there was a specific moments where it really needed. I really needed it because that was connecting to also what he was hearing uh, in his earbuds. So the other music, I, I, I really felt like it shouldn't be anything we recognized or had heard before, just to put us out in a more, in a more um, outlandish world for him. Sorry, I just. <laughs> Thank you guys for showing up. Um, as someone who's producing his first short film post-grad, I was curious to find out what was the biggest challenge in getting it off the ground since it was blacklisted. Um, what was the biggest thing or the toughest thing you had to face, whether studio, financial, casting, whatever it was? Well, I think it's always tricky to get the money. You know, it's always somebody who writes the check, you know, and, and uh, we can be super passionate about stuff, but uh, I think that... Um, and sometimes you can have the most amazing actors attached to somebody, something and it doesn't make a difference. Yeah. yeah. They, they give you a list. They're like, if Tom Cruise and Will Smith are in your movie, then here you go, you know? Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's, I think every... I think I want to say, I mean, you have more experience than, than I have on this, but I... I feel like every project is extremely, for, for everybody. For the movie gets made, it's a miracle. Yeah. Every movie that you see is a little miracle. Yeah. You should know that. And it's, every movie has a group of extremely hardworking people that's worked around the clock to get it made. Even on the top, top tier of, of filmmakers, I think it's just sort of the same thing, actually. Well, Frederick Bond, Evan Rachel Wood, um, 
Charlie Countryman opens this Friday and is on VOD, also available this Friday. I'm Tom Geyer from Entertainment Weekly. Thank you again for coming to the Thanks Apple Store. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Thanks for coming out. <laughs>